1: Hello and welcome to the Food and Psych podcast, where I, Kimberly Wilson, chartered psychologist and award-winning food producer, will be bringing you all things food, psychology, and everything in between. Now that in itself is a giant, all-you-can-eat buffet of topics, so to make it a little bit more manageable, I'll break that down into three bite-sized pieces. The first section or format of this podcast is a section that I call Breaking Bread, or I sit down with someone and through food-based discussions, discover more about them or an important issue facing the world today. In Psychology Bites, I'll fill you in on an area of psychology, maybe something that's come up in the news, or an important area of psychological theory, and that will usually be where it relates to food, but also general psychological health and well-being, such as theories on self-esteem, confidence and anxiety. And finally, the Research Digest, which is the format of today's episode. There is an enormous wealth of important and exciting research out there that can really help to improve people's daily lives, but it can be really hard to access if you don't know where to look. And when I trained as a psychologist, it was with the desire to help disseminate that information, to get it out of the obscure research journals and into the hands of the people who could benefit from it most. And if I can do a little bit of that with this podcast, then that would be really important to me and hopefully of some use to you guys too. So a few different formats, but all with the same fundamental belief that food is so much more than just nutrients on a plate or a picture on social media. Food shapes our bodies, our culture and the world around us. And I am on a mission to help us think more deeply about the functions and meanings of food and on my way, discover more about the world and the people in it. And if you join me, I hope you find it interesting and useful. Today I want to share with you what I learned at the research presentations of two researchers who were genuinely at the very top of their respective fields and discuss how their work overlaps in relation to treating multiple sclerosis or MS. But first, a safety note. The content of this podcast is provided for information purposes only and should not be taken as advice or instruction. This information does not replace the advice of your doctor, And please consult an appropriate health professional if you believe that you're experiencing a mental or physical health concern. Okay, so now we can get on with business. First, it might be helpful to describe what MS is. MS is an autoimmune neurodegenerative disorder. The first part of that, the autoimmune section, describes the aspect of the disease, which is the body's own immune cells attacking the body's healthy tissues. And neurodegenerative describes what is being attacked. And in this case, it's nerve cells. More specifically, the protective layer around the nerve cells. And for anyone racking their brains, trying to cast their mind back to science lessons, I've put a diagram up on the page for this episode to help describe what's going on. And a super quick biology lesson. If you imagine a nerve cell as the wire in your phone charger, the electricity going through the wire is the nerve signal. And that's telling you that you've touched something or something's hot or cold, for example. In a nerve cell, the wire is called the axon. And in the same way that the copper wire in your plug has a protective plastic coating, the axon is insulated with a protective coating of myelin that helps the signals pass faster and more efficiently. In MS, the immune cells attack this protective myelin coating and over time destroy it, causing damage to the nerve. When signals can't get through, the person will begin to develop neurological signs and symptoms, like tingling in the hands and feet, pins and needles, sight problems, and then often dizziness, bladder problems, and difficulties walking. While some people with the diagnosis may stay stable, for most, MS is a progressive disease that leads to greater and greater debilitation. I'll add a link to the UK MS Society, which has a wide range of information and resources on living with MS and other information about the disease. A couple of weeks ago, I was very lucky and very excited to be at the presentations of two leading researchers, Dr. Walter Longo and Dr. Jeremy Chataway. Dr. Longo is a professor of gerontology, which is a study of the process of ageing and the illnesses of old age. He's a professor of biological sciences and also the director of the Longevity Institute at the University of Southern California. Dr Chataway is a consultant neurologist and the MS lead at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery. Both have made the headlines in recent years with their incredible research. In May this year, Dr Chataway did a brief media tour as he launched a six million pound study into whether statins could slow the progression of MS. Statins are a group of cholesterol lowering drugs that are prescribed to people to help reduce their risk of heart attacks. They are widely available, generally regarded as safe and relatively cheap. In 2014 Dr Chataway published the results of a small trial of 140 people which showed that a high dose of simvastatin, one of the statin drugs, slowed the rate of brain loss in MS patients. The new trial being launched aims to include more than a thousand people to further test how effective and safe it is in treating MS. Now, you heard me say that statins are cholesterol-lowering drugs, and the manufacturers haven't suggested that it should be used in neurological disorders. Additionally, high cholesterol isn't implicated as a cause of MS. So what's going on? And this is what I asked Dr Chataway, and he explained that it had been thought that maybe statins were having an effect on the immune system, and that would make sense, because as I mentioned, MS is an autoimmune disorder. However, he said that it didn't appear to be the case. His current theory is that statins are having an effect on the health of blood vessels, essentially helping to keep them clear and healthy. A good supply of blood flow to the brain is crucial in order to supply it with oxygen and the nutrients that the brain cells need to carry out normal function. And Dr Chataway thinks that this is what the statins are doing. And we'll come back to this idea a little bit later. First of all, I just want to talk about Dr Longo's research. Some of you may have heard or even seen Dr Longo, he was featured in Michael Mosley's BBC Eat, Fast and Live Longer programme that introduced the world to the 5-2 diet, a diet protocol which promotes two days of fasting per week. Fasting is an extended period of going without food. On a small scale, we all fast for about eight hours a day when we sleep. On a broader level, fast may be observed as a religious observance or a spiritual practice, as in Buddhism and during the Muslim holy month of Ramadan. And I'm hoping to bring you some more on fasting in future episodes, so stay tuned for that. You may also have seen the headlines a couple of years ago saying that fasting could refresh the immune system. And you can see where I'm going with this, right? This was the research that came out of Dr. Longo's lab. He put mice on an extended fast, one that would be roughly equivalent to three to five days of fasting for a human, and he found that during this period, white blood cell count went down. White blood cells are the immune cells that are important for fighting infection so we generally want these to be fairly steady. Too high a level and it's a sign there's an illness or virus present. Too low and it might be a sign that the immune system isn't working properly. This low white blood cell count was a sign that the mice were under stress. However these effects were temporary and he saw that when the mice were put back on their normal diet their bodies began to produce brand new immune cells and this is what we mean by refreshing the immune system. During his work Dr Longo and his team has shown that periods of fasting followed by refeeding can have dramatic effects on a number of health markers including those for aging, diabetes type 1 and 2 and cardiovascular disease. One of the most striking outcomes was with cancer patients. He showed that a special, carefully monitored fasting protocol was able to protect healthy cells from the toxic effects of chemotherapy. Now, I want to be very careful when talking about cancer because there's a lot of misinformation and, frankly, harmful nonsense out there about what can be helpful when treating cancer. Please seek and listen to the advice of your oncologist. They're the experts and they want the very, very best outcome for you. One of the other really striking results of Dr Longo's work was in a mouse model of multiple sclerosis. When researchers talk about a model, they mean a version of a human disease in a non-human animal. Because only humans get MS, it would strictly be inaccurate to say that the mouse had the disease. For those interested, the term for MS in animals is experimental autoimmune encephalomyelitis, or EAE for short. In a study published in 2016, Dr Longo's lab found that putting mice on a fasting mimicking diet, which I'll explain in a moment, reduced their autoimmunity. So the immune system was attacking the body less. And remarkably, 20% of the animals went into complete remission. So what's going on? Well, to understand what's happening, you have to look at the brain scans. When they compared the scans before, during and after the fast, they saw that the mouse brains first shrunk and then expanded. And this is similar to what I mentioned happened with the white blood cell count earlier on. During the fast, there's a process of breaking down. The body is not getting enough nutrition and it goes into survival mode. As a part of that process, it begins to break down some cells both to provide energy and also to recycle some of the components. And I hope you can see that if the body remained in this state of severe malnourishment, you would get continuous breakdown and eventual failure. And I say that because I want to make the point that fasting, as I'm describing it here, is completely different from a crash diet, a restrictive eating plan, or an eating disorder. The benefits do not come from the restriction, they come from the refeeding. I just want to be really clear about that. Back to the research. When the animals returned to eating a normal diet, i.e., as soon as there was enough energy and nutrition to do so, their stem cells got to work creating new cells. That's new immune cells and new brain cells. And this is where it gets really interesting for MS patients. What if you could grow new nerve cells in people with MS? Now we can't just translate a result in animals to humans. A mouse is a mouse and a human is a human. But Dr Longo's lab has shown that his fasting mimicking diet promotes nerve cell regeneration and remyelination in mice. And when I spoke to him, he said that they were now trialing the diet with MS patients using a seven day protocol. The Fasting Mimicking Diet, or FMD, is a way of getting the benefits of fasting without actually going completely without food, because most people would find that very difficult, and for a lot of people, especially those with illnesses or people prone to low blood sugar, it could be very dangerous. To get around this, Dr Longo has created the FMD, which is a highly researched and technically crafted meal plan that allows you to eat small amounts of food that do not trigger what are called the nutrient-sensing pathways. What are those? Your body's cells recognise some compounds in foods as nutrients, and when it senses these nutrients, the normal metabolic processes kick in. But there are other compounds that it doesn't recognise, and the FMD allows you to eat some of these foods, tricking your cells into thinking, as much as cells can think, thinking that you're fasting, and thereby promoting the start of the renewal process, but without the discomfort of not eating for several days. The results of that trial won't be out for a couple of years, but I will keep my ear to the ground and keep you posted of anything that I hear or anything similar from another lab. Listening to both of these researchers back to back got me thinking about the overlap in their work and some of the existing literature. Dr Longo is looking at the use of food, or perhaps more accurately, the use of not-food in the treatment of serious neurological disorders. Whilst Dr Chataway's research is looking at the use of a drug, the underlying mechanism of action, vascular health or the health of blood vessels, arteries, veins and capillaries, is something that we know can be mediated through a healthy diet and lifestyle. This is why people at risk of heart attack and stroke are advised to eat a Mediterranean diet, get regular exercise and not smoke. Because a poor diet, sedentary lifestyle, and smoking are all linked to poor vascular health. Blood vessels become stiff, narrow, and blocked, and then we have increased risk of heart attack and stroke. Now, a diet already exists that has been shown in trials to reduce high blood pressure and the risk of blocked arteries. It's called the DASH diet, and that stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. And it's essentially a Mediterranean diet with low-fat dairy. If, as Dr. Chataway suspects, poor blood vessel health is one of the factors that leads to the progression of MS, then supporting patients to adopt this way of eating might be beneficial. More recently, a group of researchers modified the DASH diet to create the MIND diet, which is the Mediterranean DASH intervention for neurodegenerative delay. Basically, they took the Mediterranean DASH diet and added olive oil and a little red wine. People who follow this diet have significantly reduced risk of developing Alzheimer's disease and even those who only follow it a little bit reduce their risk by about 30%. Now to be clear, these dietary interventions have not been trialled in MS and while they both affect the brain, MS and Alzheimer's disease are very different illnesses. But the literature suggests that it might be very helpful to assess whether a nutritional intervention could improve outcomes for MS patients. There are, thankfully, some thoughts in this direction. A global report from msbrainhealth.org on the value of early intervention in MS says that, and this is a quote, the goal of treating MS should be to preserve brain tissue and maximise lifelong brain health. At the moment, the group recommends exercise and maintaining a healthy weight. The evidence from the MIND intervention and similar studies suggest that dietary changes could be an important factor. So for my money their scope for diet to play a valuable role. And some final comments on diet and MS. There has recently been a demonstration of the direct effect of gut microbes on myelination in mice. In their conclusion, the authors write, this is quite a long quote, so just stick with me, the present study indicates that appropriate cortical myelination, so myelination in the brain, relies on the presence of a functional microbiota during critical windows of neurodevelopment. Our data indicate that the microbiome is crucial for appropriate cortical myelination. Our results further highlight the microbiota as a viable therapeutic target in psychiatric disorders and may allow to develop strategies to promote remyelination in myelination diseases. In a separate review paper published this April by a team of Spanish researchers, they discuss the current evidence for the role of the microbiome in MS. And they describe, for example, previous research, again in mice, showing complete remission from EAE. They conclude, and again this is a quote, In the field of MS, solid scientific evidence points to the gut microbiota involvement in the pathogenesis prevention and treatment of EAE, the most widely accepted animal model for MS. This promising new line of MS research should aim to identify the bacterial communities associated with MS, determine their role in the pathogenesis of the disease and analyze the therapeutic potential of these findings. Both of these papers are saying that the gut microbiome is implicated in brain health and brain disorders and we just need to find out which bacteria play the biggest role and how to target them. These papers were only published in the last 12 months so we're some way off from knowing whether or what bacteria are involved in the myelination in humans But since diet is one of the fastest ways to create a change in the gut microbiome next to antibiotic treatment, I imagine that eventually nutrition and optimal nutrient intake will play a role in future research in this area. So in summary, there is exciting new evidence that a drug that can protect blood vessels can significantly delay disease progression in MS. Recruitment for that study has only just begun. So again, it will be a few years before those results are available. In the meantime there is established research that nutritional and lifestyle interventions so eating plenty of leafy greens olive oil nuts oily fish getting regular exercise even if that's just walking for 20 minutes three times a week can genuinely and effectively help to keep blood vessels healthy and is something that people newly diagnosed with ms could implement immediately to help maintain brain health we'll have to wait for the results of dr longo's research which if even some of the results in mice carry over into humans will be absolutely remarkable. We could have a nutritional intervention that could repair the damage to nerve cells. And that just blows my mind. And a final reminder that fasting is an intervention that is used for a very short period. And the FMD is a carefully and scientifically calibrated program to provide nutrition whilst maintaining a cellular fasting state it is not simply calorie restriction. And if you're wondering whether any of what I've talked about today might benefit the condition, it's absolutely essential that you discuss everything with your GP or clinical specialist. So technically, this episode wasn't food and psychology, it was more fasting and neuroscience, but I reckon that's close enough. If you found any of this interesting and want to learn more about evidence-based interventions for brain health, I do in-depth online seminars where I review and bring together the most up-to-date research. The next two are on the 15th of June and the 13th of July, both at 7pm GMT. They're online, so you can check in from wherever you are in the world. Just check your time zone for the correct start time for you. You can sign up at www.monumentalhealth.co.uk forward slash seminars. And if you use the code LONGO, that's L-O-N-G-O, all in capital letters, you'll get 10% off that's it from me for today. I hope you found this little dip into the latest research on nutrition and MS interesting. If you like it, please share and help me get the information out there. I'll put all the links and the research and organizations I've mentioned into the show notes so you can go and check them out for yourself if you like. And until next time, thank you very much for listening and I wish you the very best of health.